Why does love always feel like a battlefield? Why does it feel like there's always this pressure, this conflict that surfaces? Is it healthy? Should we ever get to a spot in our marriages where we never argue, where we never fight? Is, it, is that the goal? Is the goal is to finally get to a position where we never have a spat, where we never argue, where we never disagree? Is that the point in establishing a healthy relationship with God at the center? Is it possible to get to that point? Is it possible to be in a marriage relationship where finally you don't argue anymore, where you finally get to a point where nothing upsets you, where it's, where it's just impossible to ever look at this person and ever have an, an ill will thought or ever think something evil about them? Is that the goal? I hear people say that from time to time. They say things like, we never argue anymore. We never have arguments and, and we never disagree. And it's as if I want to say, listen, are you living in the same household? Is it possible? How can two fallen human beings who still have the old sin nature in them, how is it humanly possible to always be perfect in front of the other? Either you have decided to not address problems and, to, and suppress your relationship, or you're just flat out lying. So when I hear people say that, I don't like say, well, that's what I want and that's what that's what I need. Now, the whole other side, swing the, the chart the other way, the needle the other way. I'm not saying today that I'm saying Pastor Jim is saying, hey, arguing is the thing we should do. Just do as much as possible. And I'll use my personality uh, alphabet letters, J-E-R-K. He said, it's okay. Go ahead and use that. No, I didn't say that. But I will say this. I think personally that conflict can be good for a marriage relationship, especially if it's handled well. I mean, think about how in the world can two people who have lived independently of each other, who have patterns, who have made choices, how is it possible to bring them together when they've never shared things together? When they move into a house, bringing what they observe as okay and what they observe as acceptable, bring them together and say, live in perfect harmony. I mean, sometimes it starts with the simplest things. I mean, think about it. When you, if this has been your journey, it can start with how you squeeze the toothpaste. Do you squeeze from the center or do you roll it up? I mean, you can go a little bit for that when you're first married. You walk through that infatuation stage where, you know, you don't oversee it. You're just madly in love with that person. And, and so you look at that toothpaste and it doesn't bother you. If you're, if you're a person who rolls from the end and he's squeezing from the middle, you just grab a hold of it and roll a little bit. And so you do that for a day or two or maybe three weeks. And you just say, I love him. I love him. And it goes on for three to four months. And finally, it's starting like, I love him. I hate him. I hate him. I hate him. I hate him. It's amazing how that turns so quickly. We're human beings. I mean, even the way maybe you're from the background, that you were the dude and you had some dude roommates and you walked into your pad and you didn't take your shoes off when you came in the door. And, and so you walk through the house with your shoes. You sat down in the couch and you put your feet up on the ottoman with the shoes on. That's what dudes did. And maybe her background, you always took your shoes off. And so for the first couple of weeks, first couple of months, it's not so bad. He walks in, you just love him and all, oh, just love you, baby. And he tracks across and you just clean it up and you get the vacuum cleaner and you're just glad to serve him. Three or four months, he walks in with his shoes and you don't say anything at first, but boy, if he could read your mind, 
I love him. I hate him. I hate him. I hate him. I mean, it's amazing. So if you've never walked down that journey, then you're not alive in this room here today. I mean, just the simple things that unroll and unpack arguments. How about maybe you're the, the female and you've always clipped your toenails in the tub. There's no big deal. You sit there, you soak, and you clip your toenails. And, and so he follows up behind you one day. He normally takes a shower. And this day he decides he's tired, he's achy. He decides just to take a bath. And he sits down and like, ooh, ooh. And he's like, you clipped your toenail. Yeah. We, and he says, why? You, well, didn't you rinse the tub out before you got in? No, we don't rinse in the, out the tub. We just get in the tub. It's amazing the things that bring arguments. Or maybe this was the guy who worked like 24 jobs. And, and so he was sharing an apartment. He didn't have money. So he set the thermostat at 62 in the winter. And he just manned up. You know, and kept that Nipsco bill down. And she was from a home where her daddy let her set it to 74 because her daddy loved her. And men are supposed to love their daughters and they're supposed to let it 74. And so the first couple months, it's not so bad. And, and, and you're the woman and it's 62 degrees and you're just shivering walking around the house and you got blank. Oh, I'll just get another blanket, baby. I love you. I love you. I love you. I hate you. I hate you. I hate you. Conflict will happen. It's inevitable. It is humanly impossible for two human beings to ever spend any large amount of time together without some trouble surfacing. And if someone tells you that it is possible, they're lying. It is impossible to live in a perfect way as fallen human beings, even spirit-filled human beings. Now, conflict isn't bad. If it's handled In a proper way, in a Christ-centered way, it can make your relationship stronger. You'll see that today as we walk through this journey. I want you to grab your Bibles and I want you to turn to 1 Corinthians chapter 7. And we're going to set this message up today. And we're going to see that every marriage is messy. There is conflict. If you need a Bible, hold your hand up. Our ushers will be glad to put one in your hand. And I want you to turn to 1 Corinthians chapter 7 in the New Testament. 1 Corinthians chapter 7 and verse 25. 1 Corinthians chapter 7 and verse, we're going to read verses 25 through 28. When you find that stand, we'll read it together in, in both venues, in the link and in the main. Let's read 1 Corinthians 7, verse 25 to 28. This is Paul's letter. It's, this chapter deals with marriage. And so he's talking about a lot of components of marriage. And in the midst of this discourse, he begins to say this, verse 25 to 28. Let's read it together. Ready? Read. Now about virgins, I have no command from the Lord, but I give a judgment as one who by the Lord's mercy is trustworthy. Because of the present crisis, I think it is good for you to remain as you are. Are you married? Do not seek a divorce. Are you unmarried? Do not look for a wife. But if you do marry, you have not sinned. And if a virgin marries, she has not sinned. But those who marry will face many troubles in this life. I want to spare you of this. You may have a seat. Paul himself fesses up and says that you will have troubles in this life when you're married. There will be conflict. There will be problems. He even says that if possible, if that's the path that God is taking on you and you're single, remain single. You have less problems. You don't have to deal with the conflict of another person living in your residence. 
Paul was saying clearly to this, that conflict is inevitable. I want to set this message up and I'm going to give you three things that I believe are important when it comes to a disagreement, when it comes to an argument. These three things you must always, in the top of your mind, you must say, this is the goal in this argument. This is what I want to happen with our disagreement. This must happen in order for it to be a Christ-centered conflict, disagreement, argument. This is how we should settle it. I want you to take notes today because you might walk out of here and you're going to think you remember all this. This is great information. If you're interested in having your marriage go to the next level, husbands, don't depend on your wife. Wives, don't depend on your husbands. This is your chance for you to ante up. So I encourage you to take notes today. Here are three things. You won't see them on the screen, but listen to them. Here are three things that you must keep as a goal for all conflict. The first one is this. Stay focused on resolving the problem, not focusing on the person and fixing the person. Stay focused on resolving the problem, not staying focused on the person and fixing the person. In other words, when a a disagreement arises, focus on the problem. Don't focus on the person and the fault of the person. Address the problem. So when a problem surfaces, a disagreement, don't attack the person. Attack the problem. That keeps you from throwing words that you shouldn't throw at each other. Secondly, always manage your emotions. So as this storm is brewing inside of your heart, inside of your mind and your emotions, remember, back away and say, God, help me to remain controlled. The fruit of the spirit has self-control. So manage your emotions. If you say anything out of anger, know what you are able and capable of handling. We're going to talk throughout this message, when is a good time to argue? And so if it isn't a time when you can manage your emotions, then say, time out. We need to address this later. But manage your emotions. Always keep this in mind. It's so important. It's not the person you're after. It's the problem you're after resolving. Thirdly. Maintain respect and concern for each other. Maintain respect and concern for each other. So as you address this issue, we'll see throughout this message. Maintain respect. I love this person. She loves me. He loves me. And so maintain respect and concern. You want it to work out. And so if you keep those three things in mind, those are kind of the skeleton. When you add flesh to those, and we're going to add some flesh to this throughout the message, you're on your way to having conflict that's handled in a Christ-centered way. Some of the best moments in a relationship are when a problem surfaces and a couple works it out. And the fact is, the majority of fights and conflict begin with the stupidest, simplest of things. Sometimes you can start out by, you know, something good. And by the time you get to the end, you go back and you're like, what in the world are we arguing about? You start throwing this at this person. You attack his character. He attacks hers. And so you're attacking each other instead of the problem. When reality, all it would have taken was one concluding statement and you could have resolved the problem. Dr. John Gottman is a doctor who's done extensive research 
on the ways couples respond to each other when it comes to conflict. In fact, if you read any really, really good marriage journal, any good marriage book, any good marriage uh, uh, resource that's out there, Dr. John Gottman is, is one of the leading guys when it comes to conflict. And the resources I have, his name appeared in five different places. And he addresses conflict by labeling them with four horses. Kind of has an apocalyptic kind of feel to it. He calls these four things. That if these four things appear and aren't resolved when it comes to conflict, that 91% of marriages will end up in divorce. He's tested it. He's had people in the laboratory. He's had long-term studies. And he said, if these four things aren't resolved, and if these four things continue to cycle and they, are, they go on without resolution, 91% of marriages will end up in divorce. And as I looked through these and studied over these the last couple of weeks, I would agree with him. As I look over many marriages that I've seen fall, these were the, the primary reasons why. I want to give them to you. These are, the, these are the four things that appear that arise in conflict that aren't healthy. The first one is this, criticism. Now, this is more than a complaint. A criticism goes deeper to attack someone's character or personality. A complaint attacks the problem. Criticism attacks the person. Remember when I said when I began that, that those three goals... When you've moved from attacking the problem to attacking the person, what you are doing is you are saying this isn't going to go in a good direction. And so if someone, if your mate has done something that's wronged you, don't attack him and his character, attack the problem. And so if you don't, and it isn't addressed and it's not handled, complaints are fine. Complaints address the problem. Criticism attacks the person. The next horseman that appears is this, contempt. You move from criticism to contempt. It's an intentional about causing, you're intentional about causing damage to the other person. You see this often. When you show disgust for your spouse, such as name calling, mocking, condescending humor, belittling, demeaning, and rolling the eyes. And if it grows over time, the conflict, and it's not resolved, it can lead into really despising the person. And I've heard people say, I just, I just totally hate him. I can't stand to even be in the same room with him. And you can watch it start. It's like if you're in the midst of this conflict, and you know you're right, and he thinks he's right, and, or she thinks she's right, and you're in this, and neither of you go, and you just start attacking the person, you just start rolling your eyes, and you start belittling that person, you start mocking them, and they say something, you say right back to them. That's the picture when you know it's moved from Christian. Criticism to contempt. By the way, it's very dangerous. By the way, we're all God-created individuals. When we attack the character of a person in a condescending way, we're attacking the character of our holy God. And so this is a vital area that you might, if you find yourself mocking, belittling, comparing, you're on your way to your marriage being in deep, deep trouble. The next step out of this. The next horseman is defensiveness begins to surface. This is when the guilty person refuses to apologize or back down from the conflict. And the guilty person blames the other person and takes the role as the morally better person. 
you've taken that role if you're a human being or your spouse has taken that role. You're guilty, but you pass the blame on to them. And so what happens is you move into a defensive mode. This results in a standoff rather than a truce. The last horseman is stonewalling. Just think of a stone wall. There's you, there's her or him, and there's a wall between you. It's when you move to stonewalling this relationship, you don't see each other. You're going in opposite directions. Stonewalling stops oneness. This is when you say, well, we got to move into separate bedrooms because we can't get along. And we got to go to separate houses. We got to use separate bank accounts and we got to have social lives that are different because I cannot stand to be in the room with this person. This is when you tune your spouse out and you walk away from conversations with the hand. It's like when they speak and you just, you don't say anything, you just go and you walk away. Stonewalling is a horrible, horrible way. In fact, 85% of men resort to this manner. Men don't want to deal with problems. They've talked about enough and they can only handle so much. And so what they do, they would rather stonewall their wives. And all the while you are shutting down your wife and she is dying on the inside because she needs to resolve the matter. And you just move on because you can compartmentalize. It's like, it's only one part of my life. It's only this one issue. You can go live. You could have the the most blowout argument that you've ever had. And then you could, you can literally live. Okay. You can go about your business. You could go to work and succeed. You could climb the ladder. You could go hit three home runs in a softball game that night. And all the while you're stonewalling your wife and your wife is just dying and drying up. And Gottman says this, if it gets to stonewalling, 91% of marriages will end up in divorce. 91%. I mean, it begins with the simple things. Suppose you have a little child at home and you know, it's, it's a baby and it's, it's having a crying problem and it's crying, crying, crying. And your husband has worked all day. And so he doesn't normally do this. And you've been home all day with your, with your baby. And it's been just one of those days. It's just, you, you, you're at your end. And you don't know if you can go. And he comes home because you love him. He says, babe, I, I just need 15 minutes. Can I just, I need to get away. I'm wiped out. I'm tired. Can I take a 15-minute nap? Is it okay? You give him approval when he takes a 15-minute power nap. And during this nap, your baby begins to cry. And, and you've had it. You don't have anything left. And, and then he's just sleeping away. And you begin to, in your mind, you begin to think, is he deaf? What's wrong with that dude? What's, get up. And by the time you get to the end of that 15 minutes, you're ready to just choke him. And all the while, you gave him permission to take the nap. He wakes up and it's like, what the world just happened? It's amazing what circulates and percolates if there isn't good communication. So the question is this. Are you allowing criticism, contempt, defensiveness, and stonewalling to be a regular occurrence in your communications with your husband or wife? If these four things are going, divorce is a given. But if conflict is handled in a godly way, it can actually make the relationship much, much stronger. Besides, think about sparks. Sparks can cause a controllable fire that can heat up the house and make it comfy and warm. 
But sparks in an uncontrolled environment can literally set the house on fire. So sparks intrinsically, having a spider, having sparks isn't intrinsically bad. It's what you do with those sparks and what kind of environment. If it's in a controlled environment with two adults who talk it out, who allow Christ to be the, the, the middle of this and allow the Holy Spirit to speak through them, sparks aren't bad. I mean, think about it. If you were to start a fire... You need sparks. Now, if you take, would take these sparks and you put it in a controlled environment and you were to light some logs in a fireplace in your home, that's comfy. That's a great place for it to be. That would be a great place for you to, to have a romantic gathering. The same sparks that made that fire in a controlled environment is good. But if you would take those same sparks and you put them in an uncontrolled environment in your trash can and you walked away, you could burn the house down. Sparks conflict in itself isn't intrinsically bad. It's great when it's in a controlled environment where two adults act like adults who are listening to the spirit of God. The fruit of the spirit is self-control. During intense exchanges, a wife's negative criticism can overwhelm her husband, and he has little appetite for it. The wife sees this potentially as increasing love between them, and he sees it as a time when he's about to get no respect, so he just shuts down and stonewalls. You see, a man, when he sees you coming at him, with this problem again and again, he feels like a failure. He feels disrespected. But a woman comes after you, husband, because she can't continue to pretend that everything's okay until she resolves this issue. And so you have two people who come from completely different backgrounds resolving conflict. You both must move to the middle and meet each other. But if you don't, it just begins a vicious cycle of complaining and withdrawing, withdrawing and then complaining. For women, they need to talk it out right now. And they'll say, please, let's sit down. Let's talk that. Think about how girls work it out and how ladies work out conflict. They'll say, I'm sorry. And they look at each other. I'm sorry, too. I'm sorry I said that. And they hug and they kiss each other and they just, oh. And so they take that same kind of, of behavior and think that's going to work for my husband. I'm sorry. Aren't you sorry? I'm not sorry. What do I do? <laughs> and he's measuring guilt. And I only got like 10% in this one. You're 90%. I'm not saying sorry. You're the guilty one. And so she wants to resolve it the way she does it with her girlfriend. But guys don't resolve it that way. They just hope it goes away. That's how it works for guys. It, it, it does. I'm not saying it's correct. That's how we're wired. We think. Here's how we think. We, we, have, a, we have a disagreement. We leave the house, and we're just hoping we get home. By the way, all day during work, we didn't even think about it. She thought about it all day long. It's like it was on her mind all day long and long and long. And, and we come home, and we've had a great day at work. We walk in the house, and there she is. And then you say, oh, yeah, we had an argument this morning, didn't we? And she's like, you didn't remember that? Oh, uh, no, I went to work and I made us money and, and I, uh, it was a great day. It was a great day for you? That's not right. <laughs> well, I just chose to make it a great day. And so 
women are thinking about it all day long and guys aren't thinking about it and they want to resolve it right away. But guys just kind of hope when they get home that somehow she forgot about it. And so we kind of test the waters and, we're, and we finally were driving home and all of a sudden hits, oh yeah, we had a fight on the way to work. And you think, oh, if I just kind of just don't talk about it, it'll just, it'll go away. And so it goes a couple of days and you're just hoping she's, you know, she's, you can tell she still see that she's just thinking about it and thinking about it and thinking about it and thinking about it. And you've already moved over to this other happy box. You know, you're, you're down here somewhere and you're making millions of dollars and you hit three home runs in a softball game last night. You know, it's just, and so you hope it goes away. Guys, hear me. It doesn't go away. You might think it goes away and you might think that she'll move because she loves you. She wants so badly to resolve it that sometimes they just move past it. But let me tell you, it will resurface someday down the road when you've done something else wrong. And she says, remember the time? No, I hadn't forgot. I forgot about that long ago. And you're like, where did that come from? Where it came from because you just hoped it went away and she needs to resolve it. Men are just wired differently than men. Men are wired differently than women. He typically doesn't resolve conflict with a whole bunch of discussion or sharing of feelings or apologies. Most men just assume they will drop it. So he says, well, we'll just let it go. It's over with. Men are just different. By the way, guys, it doesn't give us permission to do that. We need to resolve it. Let me demonstrate the difference between men and women, if I can today, with this string of lights. I think it's important that somehow I show you with this string of lights how different we really are. Women have the ability to to hold things close to their heart. We'll use this as a demonstration for women. Now, this is when everything's good, all the lights light up. And when there's no unresolved conflict, she's happy, she's bright, she's cheerful. She's a party to want to be with. It's obvious. There's nothing lingering. And so a woman is very, very open and clear. You know, guys, when things are okay. But all it takes is one little issue, one little conflict that's unresolved. And if one little thing isn't resolved, the whole lights go out. Everything goes out. It's like she goes from, yeah, baby, I love you, baby. This is great. To she's dead. And it's like, and you're thinking it was only one little thing. And she will not be the woman that God wants her to be until this one issue is resolved. And so she is on a hunt. She's on a mission. And she will go after it until this one issue is resolved. Because if it isn't, she will never be herself. That's the picture of women. Now, the picture of men is so very, 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 very different. Let me show you with this string of lights. The difference between men and the difference between women. Men, on the other hand, function so much differently than 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 women do. And it's too bad that they're going to not work for me. Because it's a great illustration. Boy, I have to talk this through. Men, on the other hand, in the first service, I did this. We'll get another string of lights. You could take all these lights 
And men could, men could have one situation, that uh, an argument. And that one argument might just be one piece and the rest of the lights would remain on in a man's life. But for women, if one little thing isn't, isn't taken care of, then all the lights are out. But for men, you could have multiple encounters. Oh, how about that? Oh, yeah, we argued over this. And you know what happened? The lights remain on. There lies a difference between men and women. Men could have a string with only one light lit and he is out partying it up. And she's like, how can you do that? It's because men compartmentalize. That's what they do. Men, men just compartmentalize what they're doing. And when conflict arises, they just shut that box out and they move to the next box and it's a happy place to be. During intense conflict, men, we must move to the middle and address it. She needs to resolve it. And she's good at it. So she gets historical about it. Not hysterical, but historical about it. She recalls every detail from the last four fights that have been unresolved. And she could tell you the date, the time. She can tell you what you wore. She can tell you when you left the house. She can tell you how you came home that next night and how you kind of just forgot about it. And it's like, and so you have this other thing that occurs and you get the wrath of all the five things before they're unresolved. And you stand there and say, what the world just happened? What happened was she can get historical. Not hysterical, but historical about them. She is dredging them up so that she can clean the air and feel the love in the relationship. So there it is. You have a crossroads. He wants to settle it his way. She wants to settle it her way. She wants to hunt you down and she wants to talk about it right now. And you want to just say, hey, we'll get to it later. But you got to move to the middle. So what do you do when you move to the middle? How do you resolve this conflict? Let me give you some really, really good advice. Proverbs 15.1 reminds us of this when we have conflict. A gentle word turns away wrath. So when you see your spouse, don't allow those emotions that are brewing inside of you to come out. Proverbs talks a lot about how we control our tongue. In fact, in fact it says, just, just cut it off. You're better off just cutting it off. Make sure you're quick to listen and give a gentle response when working out conflict. And how do you do that? One of the first things you do is you affirm the other person. Even though you know they're wrong. Even though you think they're wrong. Even though at that moment you hate their guts. Even though at the moment you hate his guts. Affirm them. Find something about them that is valuable. I always encourage you to, before you walk through any conflict, pray for them. Before you go into the room even. If you can't at that moment, look at her and pray with them. Pray for her. Say, God, give me the words. God, I don't feel like resolving this right now. God, I'm not in a good place because I know I'm right. And this isn't good. So God, help me. It's amazing what the spirit of the Lord can do in a man and a woman's heart. When you bring God into the equation for conflict. So affirm her, affirm him. Pray before you go through this conflict. Set your selfish pride on the shelf 
and surrender your right to be right. You do not have to be right every single time. And some guys like to be right all of the time. Listen to me, guys. Set your ego at the door. Ladies, put your ego at the door. Remember, don't attack the person. Attack the problem. Next, remember who your enemy is. Remember this person that you said, I will and I do and I love you. is not your enemy. They're on your team. Picture it this way. You're going into this conflict. Maybe this will help you just visually. Picture a basketball game. Picture the one team sitting here on the bench. Picture another team sitting over here on the bench. Two teams on separate benches. This is the opposing team. This is your team. That team is the team you want to run the score up on. Now, when you look at your wife or your husband, they're on your bench. Quit trying to run the score up on your wife or your husband. Run the score up together on the enemy. The enemy isn't your mates. You're on the same team. Sometimes just, I mean, it's amazing if you just stop and say, wait a minute. We're on the same team. What kind of basketball team goes out and plays defense on their own guy? I mean, seriously, do you win that way? Your guy has the ball. He's driven up court. and You got three guys of your own team covering him. It just doesn't make sense. Remember, you're on the same team. Stop the blame game. Don't walk into this encounter and say, well, it's because of you and you did this. And if it wasn't for you, then this wouldn't have happened. Repent of your wrongs. It's amazing what that happens when you just say, God, I'm probably at fault at this. And by the way, most, most, if not all conflict, both parties are at fault to some level. It always intrigues me when I sit with people or talk to people and I hear the story and I get this picture of how horrible he is. And he did this and I can't do this because of him. And I'm always wise enough to know I need to hear the other side. Because I could walk away with this story. Boy, he's horrible. He's just no wonder. And then when I hear the other side, it's like, oh, she's horrible. And you see that we got to bring them together and recognize that, that you're both wrong. But listen, if you are the primary person that's wrong, repent of it. You know, guys, we can say, I am sorry. I know it's difficult. But I tell you what, you say I am sorry to your wife, it'll melt her heart. Apologize. Make that part of your vocabulary. Most individuals in a marriage don't fall out of love. They fall out of repentance. I see that happen all the time. You hear people, well, we just kind of fell out of love. We were just, we used to love each other. Well, listen, you didn't fall out of love. You fell out of repentance. You refused to repent. You refused to admit that you were wrong. You refused to say, you know what, God, I'm sorry. And when you live enough of that pattern where you're always right and you're never sorry and you never repent, guess what's going to happen? Stonewalled. Bam. Separation. Listen, most marriages don't fall out of love. They fall out of repentance. You show me a broken heart. You show me a contrite spirit. You show me a humble man or a humble woman who goes to that person in love and says, we need to work this out, please, for the cause of Jesus Christ and what he did on the cross. I will show you conflict being handled in a godly way. Say the words, I'm sorry, guys. 
women say the words, I forgive you. We must be willing to say that. Now, I want to give you also, as I think through this, important to know when to fight, to know when to argue, to know how some fighting rules. Let me begin by saying this. When it comes to having good fighting rules, you must have a plan. You must just, you know, if you don't have a plan or attack when it comes to conflict, then you will walk away totally frustrated and you will not get it resolved. Know when to handle the conflict. Know when to fight. Listen, 1030 at night after you both had long days and you put the kids down, he's tired, you're tired, you're both grumpy, isn't a good time to fight. You will not get anything good accomplished. You'll just go to bed mad and you'll do the Ephesians 4.26, which says, don't go to bed with anger. Go to sleep being angry. You'll do the exact opposite of that. No end to fight. So schedule. Say, hey, we got to resolve this. And guys, listen, if she's pushing for it, you need to follow through with it. Find a time when it works best. By the way, don't fight. Five minutes before your husband leaves in the morning for work or five minutes before your wife leaves for work. Don't have her day destroyed. By the way, ladies, his day won't be destroyed, but yours will. He's already moved on. And I know you don't like that. It's just the way it is. Just, so if you don't want your day to be miserable, don't fight five minutes before he goes out the door. Know where to fight. I would do it in the privacy of your home. Don't do it in front of your kids and your children. Not on your way to church on Sunday morning. It's amazing how many little fights start because she was five minutes later than what you thought she was going to be. And you toot that horn just one too many times. That horn has caused more conflict on Sunday morning. And then you say, well, it's a 44th time. So you drive and the kids are sitting in the back like puppy dogs, just scared to death. And you come in and worship Jesus, praise God from whom all blessings fall. And then you know you got to face each other on the way out of here. Right now, some of you are right there, aren't you? (laughs) Know how to fight. By the way, don't try to answer and work out a fight over texting. You ever try to do that? Like, especially with a guy. Think about this. You ladies, they'll send, you'll send this, like this text. And you, and you got, if you have a smartphone, when they get really long, they just keep blinging. Bling, bling. And you're going, (laughs) and then you write this paragraph, all these things. And he replies back, okay. (laughs) Men and women are different. Ladies, you'll never win that fight. Never. Talk face to face. Do it in a godly way. One of the things that Ann and I do when we have conflict and disagreements, and we do, we, we have them. And uh, try to draw a word picture. Like, if they've done something to you that's really hurt you and, and, and just damaged you, sometimes guys need to know that. And, and, and Ann has used word pictures for me before. She said, Jim, when you do that, I just, she said, you ever seen a vase that had like beautiful flowers in it? And there was one flower that was all dried up. And it was like it was wilted over. She says, when you said that, I felt like that flower. And I'm like, oh, are you sure? Yeah. (laughs) And I just keep picturing that flower. And it's, and so it helps me see. And so create word pictures because we're dense, by the way. We can't always see and do the same for her. And, and if she, 
if she disrespects you somehow and, and she says something to you that you just feel disrespected, tell her, say, when you said that, I felt like you took a five pound hammer to my head and I just feel like I'm bleeding and I am angry because blood and hammers hurt. Really? Yeah. Word pictures. Gary Smalley has a lot written in this area of how to draw word pictures. You see, the percentage of guilt is not the issue either, guys. The real issue is love and respect. You see, we like to keep percentages. And here's how it goes. See, a woman wants to be unconditionally loved, and a man wants to be unconditionally respected. Yet, when it comes to conflict, we're like this. Instead of moving towards the middle, we think, well, she is... 74.73% guilty. And I'm not moving because I'm only the 26% guilty. And so, huh, she's the guilty one. Listen, it has nothing to do with the degree. You're probably at some guilt. Give up your ego and move to the center. That's the picture of a healthy relationship. But the reason that's so challenging to move to the middle and, and admit and say, I'm sorry, guys, is when she says, I'm sorry, it's an increase of her love. But when a man says it, he fears he'll lose respect. This is especially true, by the way. If he says he's sorry for something and then she brings it up again because she isn't convinced he's sorry. Ladies, you got to give that over to God. If he worked through it and said he was sorry, you got to give that over to God. Because if you continue to bring that up, that will just push him away. Let me show you what I mean by that. Guys compartmentalize. We're able to compartmentalize. Like I said earlier, we could have one light bulb go out on our string and the rest of the light bulbs remain lit. We can have a good day. We could go out throughout the day and we could be just as jovial. We could be the best friend to our coworkers, to the rest of our family. And we're just really good. But for her, if that one issue isn't resolved, all of her lights are out. And so women have a tendency to be be historical. They like to recall every fact. And so here's what happens. We get this brunt of all these other things. And so here's how it kind of happens. You thought that you said you were sorry. And so she has this tablet. And when the tablet comes out, you're like, oh, brother. And so you're coming after and resolving this one issue. And she's bringing all these things up from the past. Like September the 6th in 2007, when, when you said you would fix the oven. Well, I did fix it. Yeah, it took you 13 months. She remembers it. 13 months, 20 24 hours later, you did it. And you're like, man, I thought we resolved that. I told you I was sorry. Or then in the midst of an argument, she brings up October the 12th, 2001, when you were late for that doctor's appointment and you were supposed to take your daughter to it. And then the doctor or your daughter calls you and says, dad isn't here. And you said, I'm sorry, honey, I just blew it. And you thought she forgot about it. But then when that next issue came up back on, on, on October the 12th, or she brings up the one that there's always that one that she never forgets about January 5, 1984, 
the vacation from hell. You guys remember that one? And you're the blame for it. And so you've had a great day. And so you're thinking, I'm coming, I'm going to resolve this one issue. The one that we talked about. When was that that we talked about that? Oh, yeah, remind me again. Uh, And she reminds you and you go back. Okay, let's talk about that one. And so you're ready to talk about it. And then while you're there, she just brings all this other stuff. You're like, where did I come from? Ladies, don't get historical. You got to remove your tablets. By the way, I know a God that created us who who not only forgives us, but he chooses not to remember our sins anymore. And if we're supposed to follow him, it might be a good thing if you followed him too. And by the way, guys, don't say that to her in the midst of an argument, but that's what you should do. (laughs) Because when the tablet comes out and you know, it's going to be one of those nights, she's standing at the door. (laughs) (laughs) Ladies, Put your tablets away. Isn't that what 1 Corinthians 13, 5 says? Keep no record of wrongs. Ladies, I also want to be pretty frank about something else. A man needs to be respected in your fight times. And one of the major conflicts that arises is who's leading in the family. My husband's unsaved. How am I supposed to follow him and let him lead if he doesn't have the heart of God? Or there's two Christians and you're just kind of the, 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 the A personality and you like taking charge. And so he's kind of, you know, he's not an A, he's a B personality. And you might think he's a J-E-R-K personality, but he's a B personality. And so you take rule. And, and so there's this fight in your home. Who's going to wear the pants in the home? Listen to me. Let, me. let me just settle the issue. He'd rather you not wear any pants, okay? That would settle the issue. I don't know why you want to wear them. That would settle a lot of issues. It's the truth. Don't ever overlook his insight. This leads women to telling their husbands... How they ought to be spiritual leaders. Ladies, don't ever tell your husband how he ought to be a spiritual leader. I know it comes from your desire to see him lead spiritually. You might be judging your husband with contempt in this area. He knows what your desires and convictions are. That's why 1 Peter 3, just listen to this. You don't have to turn there, but just listen. It's worth listening to, ladies. 1 Peter 3 verses 1 says this. Wives, in the same way, be submissive to your husbands so that if any of them do not believe in the word, they may be won over without words by the behavior of their wives. When they see the purity and reverence of your lives, when they see that you're willing to follow them and trust them and give them a chance, they can be won over. So I ask you a few questions if you struggle with who leads and you're trying to get him to lead. Ask yourself these questions, ladies. Did my husband ever seek to lead our marriage, but I differed because I felt it was stupid and I let him know? Well, that's a stupid way to lead. Let me tell you, if you begin to have a contempt in your relationships and mock him as a leader and belittle him, he will run from leadership. Ask this question, ladies. Do I send a message that I do not intend to follow him if he makes a decision contrary to what I believe is correct? Now, listen. Don't follow sin, 
But if it's not a sin issue, do you always have to have a contrary response to that? Listen, if you begin to service that, your man will never lead. Ask yourself this question, ladies who struggle in this area. Do I send messages that say, I want you to lead, but only when it boisters and carries out my desires? Ask yourself this, ladies. Do I want my husband to be responsible? But if he is irresponsible, in my opinion, I exercise veto power. Well, you blow it again. I guess I'll have to wear the pants. Listen, ladies, you begin to have contempt. He feels disrespected. He gets angry and he stonewalls and he will never lead because he feels like he's a failure. And a man doesn't want to feel like he's a failure because he's no, he's setting himself up to fail again. You will never see your man lead. Or do my words and actions communicate? You are responsible, but I have authority. Lady, some of you must stop being your husband's Holy Spirit. The last time I checked, there was no vacancy at the Trinity. It's the truth. So focus on the problem, not the person. Manage your emotions, maintain respect and concern for each other. I've asked my wife, Anne, to come up and to answer some questions and get a woman's perspective. So I'm going to have her come up and get her some insights so that you can hear another side of the story and so that you can hear from her perspective. Thanks, Maya. By the way, my wife and I do have disagreements, and that's hard for you to imagine that. Um, um, but we do. And I, I think of one, we were married like uh, seven days or something like that. And, uh, and you know, we loved each other. Just, you know, we just could hardly believe that we had each other. And I could hardly believe that she married me. And I knew she was just knockout in love with me. I mean, it was just obvious. Um, but uh, um, you can speak now. She's got a microphone. I can't, I gotta be careful. But we came home from our honeymoon after um, being at Virginia Beach, um, and our house was full of all of our gifts from the wedding. And uh, uh, there were you know, a bunch of gifts there, and I wanted to open them up. She wanted to open them up. And so I just started opening them up, just throwing them, you know, and just, look at this. Where's the check? You know, just, you know, just, and she's like, Jim, Jim, we need to know who they're from. We, oh, you're right. Thank you notes. <laughs> yeah, so she could send thank you notes. I'm just want the, the prizes and the gifts, and, and I'll tell you, seven days, and I hated her, <laughs> and I know she hated me. It took us seven days to hate each other. Um, so conflict is there, and we've resolved that. And uh, um, but we've had many other conflicts along the way. But what would you say, honey, to um, the ladies here? Um, in regards to conflict, I mean, speak to the or speak to the men first. What would you say to the men from a woman's perspective handling conflict? Okay, well, men, I would encourage you to please keep sharing, keep trying to communicate, um, especially if you feel disrespected, and there are specifics that you could point out because we're wired very differently, and I know that I erred on that, and I didn't even realize that it was coming across as being disrespectful. 
And so if that is an issue in your marriage, don't clam up. I'm glad that Jim shared and tried to help me understand how it, it came across to him because I really don't want to disrespect him, and I, I didn't. But I, I remember, I just think there's been times, I remember, maybe it's just way for you guys too, but I remember getting so angry at my wife. You know, they were controlled emotions. You know, we, by God's grace, there's been times, you know, we, uh, depending, I don't know what your language is. Maybe your house was screamers. Maybe you were stonewallers. I don't know, but you used your language. I was so angry at her over this simplest thing that she said to me. And I couldn't, I was trying to be the psychologist on myself saying, why am I this mad? I mean, it was up here. It was controlled emotion. But I tell you, if you would open me up, I would just rip the world apart. And I realized that I felt disrespected. And I began to grapple with that, that the, the times that I get probably the most upset is when I feel disrespected. And I remember telling you, I just, I just feel angry. And, and I remember Anne addressing that and she was saying, I didn't even realize that. And, and I really thought that it was Jim's problem. <laughs> <laughs> probably was. was. <laughs> that there was something unusual about him, but then I... There is. <laughs> Plenty. There are some things, but I, I'm glad that people have written books and that <laughs> I read books and I was like, oh my goodness, other men are like this. <laughs> it's not just him, so I thought I better pay attention and we need to, to work this through. What, what would you say, honey, to, is the hardest thing when it comes to conflict to resolve? What, what would you say, like, even for us or for others, what, what do you think? Like, what hits you the hardest in, in this message today or this area of conflict? What would be a good word to ladies, other words? Well, I mean, the main thing is don't give up hope. Because sometimes you feel like this issue, like it, it's like a wheel. It comes up, you talk about it, work it through, and it's good for a while. But then there it is again. And and. Um, you know, we do, women do sense that if there are issues, red flags, something that needs to be talked about, and I don't want to stereotype, but I think, you know, for a rule that we're kind we see those things and, and we get tired of bringing them up. So what, what do you do? Like when, uh, you know, when I get the list from you, Okay. because well, I do get the list from a wife once in a while. Yeah, and I like I want to represent the women here. All right, cause, go. Because <laughs> I don't feel like I carry around the list and like I keep it at the forefront all the time. She doesn't. <laughs> but hey, I'm learning here. From <laughs> my end of things, and actually, Jim is the one that shared this in a previous marriage series that it really connected with me. That sometimes if the issue comes up, then I feel like it brings up those pop-up screens. Like, it's not like those pop-up screens were up the whole time in the last 10 years that I haven't been able to X them out. But if a, a similar thing that it makes me feel a similar way or it, it, um, it'll trigger those, those screens will pop up again. And um, so it's not like I don't really feel like I've kept track of it or kept a log. That's but, how we feel, though. For us, it's like, oh, well, boy, the tablet. And I have to look at the First Corinthians where it talks about it doesn't keep a record of wrongs. And 
there's some nice verses in Proverbs about um, quarrelsome wives and drippy faucets and things like that that I'm glad that you didn't share this morning, but I guess I have to bring them up because I'm sure they're there for a reason. And so it does make me think how I come across. By the way, you look good on screen up there. (laughs) It's distracting. (laughs) It is to me too. Uh, go ahead. Um, yeah, you're making me lose my train of thought. Um, but, and, and for me to remember that if we have dealt with those issues, that to trust that God can help me to click the X on those pop-up screens and not mention them again and, and stick to what's at hand. How do you know when, when uh, I'm really sorry? How do you know? How do you like... How do, uh, that's a good answer a guy would know. How do, when is that moment when, how do I show real um, forgiveness or just, just saying I'm sorry? How, when does it come best across for me? I mean, you, you live with me for 24 years, which is a miracle in itself, but um, by God's grace. And vice versa. Yeah. How, how, how do you know when, like, Jim's really sorry? Well, the words hmm. and your tone of voice. I would, I would say that many times Ann often says, Jim, it's your tone. It's, and I say, what, what tone? That's not it. (laughs) (laughs) And so often it's the tone. I found that it's my tone often that for Ann, she knows that I've really forgiven her and that I really want to work it out. And she's been good at, we've been good at working through that. It's been, it's been a great journey. It really has. And uh, I feel blessed. Um, we have a, by God's grace, have a great marriage, but, um, and it's only by his grace. Um, what would be a parting word that you would say to regarding uh, conflict here? Just don't give up. It is worth it to work through. And like you said, we're on the same team and to remember who the enemy is. He's, you know, we have a real enemy, Satan, and he, he wants to tear marriages apart. And he wants to keep you from the intimacy that is God's plan in a marriage. And there's a lot of little twisted ways that hinder that. But don't give up. Just keep on trying and praying and don't lose hope because it really can be different. You can finally work through those issues and then you get some new ones. (laughs) (laughs) Well, that's great, isn't it, guys? Well, that's part of the fallen part. I mean, that's why I say when I hear people say they don't have problems anymore and they don't argue, I, I, I don't believe them. I don't think it's possible because we're fallen. Maybe you have less than others, but um, there's some, when you work things out, it really, there's, it's good to stand on the other side of conflict and say, well, look what God did. Um, and that's, there's some victory in that, too. We're going to wrap up um, trying to really drive this thought home with a, a song today. And... Listen to the words um, as it's sung. It's a beautiful song, and it's called Roll to the Middle. Um, and it, it'll impact you deeply. And it really captures what we've been talking about today uh, regarding um, rolling to the middle and, and being willing to step through your pride. So listen to the song as it's being sung in both venues. had a World War III here in Arkansas. 
Can't be sure that you're gonna roll into. 